God wants to help us develop the quality of encouragement in our lives, which benefits us on our life journey. Today, we're looking at three key things we need to know about encouragement. This message is the fifth in the series, Road Trip. The message is entitled, Encouragement. Here is Pastor Dale O'Shields. And all of us are on a journey. We may be here 70, 80, 90 years. We don't know how long we'll be on this planet uh, living this life. We're preparing for eternity, but it's extremely important that we have the right stuff packed into our spiritual bags with us in the journey that we're involved in. And we've been talking about some of those things. We talked about faith, the importance of being a believing people, trusting God and His Word. We talked about the importance of packing patience into your life because life involves learning how to wait. We talked about the importance of contentment, how we learn to be content in our relationship with God. We talked about kindness. This weekend, I want to talk to you about a very important element that you want to pack into your spiritual bags with you for your life journey in preparation for eternity. I want to talk to you about the importance of encouragement. And for the next several moments, I'm going to share with you three basic things that we need to understand about encouragement in our lives. So let's dive right into today's message. The first thing that I want you to understand, in fact, the Bible clearly teaches to us, is that encouragement is something that you need, something that everybody needs. There's not a single person here today that does not need to be encouraged. We all need it in our lives. The reason that we need to be encouraged is because of the opposite of encouragement, and that is discouragement. And discouragement is a horrible disease. When discouragement gets a hold of your life, it drains your energy, it distracts your focus, it causes you to actually become less effective in whatever work that you do. Anyone that's discouraged really is not at a good place in life. They're certainly not at their best. And so the opposite of encouragement, discouragement, is something that we must be aware of. And the reason we need to be encouraged is because there's so much discouragement around. If you don't believe that, open up the newspaper today. There's a lot of discouragement on the front page. It's around us all the time. And the Apostle Paul, during his earthly ministry, made it clear that one of his goals, one of his objectives, was to make sure that the people of God remained encouraged. If you will, note with me Colossians chapter 2, verses 2 and 3. I'll read these two verses for us and listen to what Paul says about this important thing called encouragement. He says, my goal, would you circle those two words, my goal. Paul is about to tell us one of his goals for his ministry. He says, my goal is that they, that's all of us as believers, certainly to the church at Colossae that he was writing to, but he says that my goal, my ministry goal, is that they, that we as believers in Christ, may be, what's the next word? Encouraged. Paul says, in all that I do, in all of my ministry, one of my objectives, one of my goals is to make sure the people of God stay encouraged in heart, united in love, so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. There's a lot of stuff in those two verses. All I want to point out to you today is simply this. Paul had Many goals in ministry, but one of his goals was to be an encourager. You need to be encouraged. Now, to understand encouragement, we have to understand what the word means. So what does it mean to be encouraged? What is the definition of that word? The biblical definition of the word encouragement literally means this. It means to put courage into or spirit or hope into. That is to put inside of you something that gives you the courage, the strength, the capacity, the hope to keep going. Perhaps the best way I can describe it is like a basketball or a soccer ball. All of you perhaps have seen basketballs or soccer ball or any kind of ball for that matter that requires inflated. 
inflation, for it to bounce, for it to respond. There has to be air on the inside. If it's not pro- properly inflated, it's, it's kind of dead. It doesn't respond to the bounce. It doesn't respond to the kick. The same is true for you and me. If we're going to have resilience in our life, the ability to bounce back, to handle life in a good and positive way, we need something on the inside. We need that air on the inside. That air, if you will, is that encouragement, is that spirit that gives us the capacity to respond appropriately to life and life circumstances without being deflated. If we could see inside the souls of many of you here today, what we would see would be a deflated soccer ball a deflated basketball, that on the inside, about all the air is gone. And God today wants to breathe fresh life into you. God wants to encourage you today. He wants to give some air of inflation, of encouragement into your spiritual being. When that happens, you gain internal strength and courage. You begin to have more of a positive outlook on life. You also begin to have more energy and motivation to do those things that God has asked you to do. So encouragement, it's not a matter of being pumped up or psyched up. It's not some emotional thing. It's something that happens on the inside that gives us resiliency in life. Here's our second point today. The reason that encouragement is so important for you to to understand and to grasp is because your encouragement on a regular basis is under attack. Your encouragement is under attack. Every day of your life, the enemy of your soul, the one that the Bible refers to as the devil, would like to steal away from you your encouragement. Why? Because if he can discourage you He can take you out of the game. If he can discourage you, he can drain your energies. If he can discourage you, he can distract your focus from those things that are most strategic and important for your life. And so in many ways, one of the attacks the enemy will bring to you is not always just in the realm of sin as we think of it in terms of temptation to do wrong or evil, but sometimes the devil shows up in your life, often he does, simply to discourage you. Sometimes we are our own worst enemies when it comes to discouragement as well because we talk ourselves into it without much of the devil's help. And I've learned in my own life that I have to be on guard against an attack of discouragement because it comes in many forms, it comes in many ways, and it especially comes at particular times in life. There are certain times that I have to be very aware of my own existence, my own surroundings, because I know that in those moments I will be the most vulnerable to discouragement. And so what I did for you today is I listed 10 of the times that I've learned over my life to be very careful because I know that during these times I'm extremely vulnerable to to, to the the experience of discouragement. I think it will probably apply to you as well. So I'm going to ask all of us to read these 10 things together. I'll talk about them briefly as we walk through them. The first time in life when you are often uh, vulnerable to discouragement is when you're facing, what's the first phrase there? Persistent. Stress. Notice I did not say stress, but persistent stress. Stress is a reality in life, and all of us can usually handle a certain amount of stress as it comes to us a bit day in and day out. But when something is persistently stressful, it puts you in this emotional drain in life, and it sets you up for the potential of discouragement. Number two is external Attacks. When you feel like people around you or circumstances are ganging up on you, the externals of life are weighing heavy upon you, you feel attacked. There's a time often that we feel discouraged. Number three, unresolved problems. Again, a problem is really not a problem if you have a solution, correct? 
And we all face problems, and problems really do not affect us negatively as long as we can come up with some solution fairly quickly to that problem. But problems become real problems when we try things and they don't work, and we try solution after solution. And maybe that's where some of you are in your life right now. You have some problems that are continuing. They're unresolved. It seems as though you've been working on them for a long time, but the answer has not yet come. The solution is not there yet. There's a story of that in the Bible in John chapter 5 when Jesus approached the place called the Pool of Bethesda and there was a man that was there who had had a problem for 38 years that he could not get solved. The problem was his physical ailment. He wanted to get into the water so he could be healed. But for 38 years, he'd had no one to help him. No one had helped solve his problem until Jesus came along. Number four is extended adversity. It's very similar to persistent stress, but just the adversities of life when it seems as though one bad thing comes after another. Number five, unanswered prayers. Now, notice the word unanswered is in quotation marks. The reason that is there is because I am thoroughly convinced that there's no such thing as an unanswered prayer. I believe there are prayers that don't get answered the way you want them to be answered the way I want them to be answered. I think they're prayers that don't get answered in the time frame that we would like for them to be answered. I certainly agree with that. But the reality is, is that when we as sincere people of God approach our God and Father through our Lord Jesus Christ and we pray and call upon His name as He invites us to do, God always answers prayer. Now, sometimes God will answer prayer with a yes. He says, yes, I will do that for you. And many of us can testify today that we've seen God respond when we prayed. He's answered our prayer. What an amazing moment that is when we can praise God for the answers to prayer that we present before Him. And then sometimes God will answer your prayer with a no. He doesn't say yes. He says no. And as I look back on my life, I am grateful that God has not answered all of my prayers because I prayed some really silly prayers. How about you? As I think about my life, and I look back, these were foolish prayers. And I so much wanted God to do this for me, and I asked, asked Him and begged Him to do it, and God said, no, no, no. And I look back now and say, thank you, Lord, for saying no. Anybody want to raise your hand this morning and say, thank God He says no sometimes, right? Because in our foolishness, we ask for stuff that really is not good for us, is not beneficial for us. And so God is a loving, kind, heavenly Father. He says, no, I'm not going to do that because I'm sovereign over your life and I want to do what is best for you. And then many times God will say, the answer is yes, but you got to wait. Oh, I don't like that. Do you? Well, the answer is not now. The answer is yes, but you're going to have to wait for it. Listen, when God says, it's okay, we're encouraged when God says yes, right? The times that we really struggle with is when God says no. And sometimes we throw a little temper tantrum. God, you didn't give me what I wanted. And times when we have to wait, it's not pleasant to wait. And the moment, those kind of moments are times we're tempted to grow discouraged. The next one that I'll mention here, number six, is ungodly evil. What's the word? Influences. It's really tough when you have people around you that are discouraging. That's the way they live their lives. And oftentimes we are surrounded, whether it be in the work environment or people that we have around our lives, that they are discouragers. Instead of encouragers, they are discouragers. And so when you get around them, you feel their influence. And I've learned something about discouragers. They're not happy to stay discouraged by themselves. They want to pull somebody down with them, right? 
And they want you to be where they are. And so you get around a discouraged person, a discouraging person. They want to pull you into that world. And so often we have to battle with that stress and that pressure of people like that. Number seven, relational disappointments. When relationships don't work the way we thought they were going to work. Number eight, personal failures and defeats. Times that you've really messed up. And sometimes we mess up big time. We think, my goodness, I never can get it right. You feel discouraged by your failures. Number nine was one I've had to learn and continue to learn over the years, physical fatigue, that when you're tired, you can become emotionally discouraged, spiritually discouraged. Elijah is a great story of this. Elijah, after he uh, withstood the prophets of Baal and Mount Carmel, he then experiences extreme fatigue, and in his fatigue, he finds himself very discouraged. And God's remedy for Elijah at that moment was for him to lay, take some food, get something to eat, and take a nap. How I many know the most spiritual thing you can do sometimes is have, have a little snack and take a nap? Amen? Okay. Sometimes that will do more for you than an hour of prayer because what your body is crying out for is a little snack. Hopefully, it's a, health, it's a healthy snack, okay? like ice cream, something like that, okay? <laughs> and a nap. Because there's a re- see, you're, you are spirit, soul, and body. And you don't just operate on your spirit and operate on your soul. You live in a body, okay? And your body has limits. And the limitation of your body will have an impact upon your spirit and upon your soul. That's why God gave us something called the Sabbath. The Sabbath, the seventh day you shall rest. God rested on the Sabbath day. Why? Because what happens is on that Sabbath, there's a principle of learning how to rest our bodies and in the context of that, rest our spirit and rest our soul. And I will tell you, if you keep burning the candle at both ends, what's going to happen is there'll be nothing in the middle. There'll be, no, there'll be no margin of your life left. And so you will find yourself not only physically depleted, but emotionally and spiritually depleted as well. In fact, I've learned over the years as I've watched people that, that go through this process, you become much more vulnerable even to sinful temptations in times of physical fatigue. Number, number 10, poor progress. Isn't it discouraging when you're trying to make progress on something and you seem to be making no progress at all? this habit you're trying to overcome or this breakthrough you're trying to have in your life and it seems as though you take three steps forward and four steps backwards or three steps forwards and three, three steps backwards. You're never making any progress. It seems as though you get stuck in the same place. Let me remind you this morning, be on guard against these 10 things because when this kind of stuff is happening in your life, you're much more vulnerable to being discouraged. Now, David The man that we know from Scripture experienced a time of great discouragement in his life related to these kinds of things. Let me tell you a little bit about the story. We're going to read it in a moment in 1 Samuel chapter 30. But before I read the story to you, let me tell you what's going on in David's life at this time. David at this particular point was not yet king of Israel. He was going to become king of Israel, but at this point, Saul, who was the first king of Israel, was still king. And Saul was very jealous toward David. In fact, Saul hated David and wanted to destroy him because he felt like David was trying to take the throne away from him, and David had no intention to try to do that, but Saul was very paranoid. Actually, he was kind of insane, insanely jealous. And so for many years, Saul tried to kill David, and so David had to go on uh, as a fugitive, had to run away from Saul and hide in caves and all kinds of places throughout Judea just to protect himself from this evil man called Saul who wanted to take his life. 
That's the background of the story I'm about to read for you. Now let's take a look at a day in the life of David as a fugitive. Let's see what happens here. 1 Samuel 30, verse number 1. David and his men reached Ziklag on the third day. By the way, Ziklag was their camp. It was the place that David and the the band of men that were hanging around with him as he was running from King Saul, it's where they were living at the time. Now the Amalekites, that was a force, an enemy force, had raided the Negev and Ziklag. So the Amalekites had raided the village that David lived in. They had attacked Ziklag, Ziklag and burned it and had taken captive the women and everyone else in it, both young and old. They killed none of them, but carried them off as they went on their way. When David and his men reached Ziklag, they found it destroyed by fire, and their wives and sons and daughters taken captive. Read the next verse with me, verse number 4. So David, let's all together read it. Here we go. So David and his men wept aloud until they had no strength left to weep. This is a bad day in David's life. He's running from Saul. He's gone away for a period of time from his home camp, and when he comes back, he finds that an enemy force has robbed the camp, kidnapped all of his family and the family of all of his men, stolen their stuff, and burned the entire camp. And so they look at the rubble of what's left over after the enemy has come in and and ransacked their, 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 their home. And the Bible says that David and his men sat down and they wept aloud until they had no strength left to weep. Have you ever wept like that before? That you had so much pain inside that you wept until there were no more tears to cry? Your tear ducts just didn't work anymore and you couldn't even articulate any other words coming out because you'd cried your soul out. And that's where David was in this moment. It was a very, very bad time in his life. The Bible says now in verse number 5 that David's two wives have been captured, Ahinoam of Jezreel and Abigail, the widow of Nabal of Carmel. David was greatly distressed. Would you circle that phrase also? David was greatly distressed because the men were talking of stoning him. Each one was bitter in spirit because of his sons and daughters, but David found strength in the Lord his God. The Bible says that in this moment that David was greatly distressed. Let me highlight that word just briefly, distressed. The Hebrew word, by the way, the original language of the Old Testament is Hebrew, and so sometimes it helps to understand some of the context or definitions, etymologies of the Hebrew words. And so the Hebrew word for distressed is a word that's very, it's an interesting word. The idea is to take something that is larger and to squeeze it and to press it into something very narrow so that you are put under pressure. That's the idea. Something that needs a bigger space is crammed into a smaller space so that what you feel is pressure, distress. That's the idea. It's sort of a claustrophobic word. If you ever struggle with claustrophobia before, you know what it feels like to be in a a constrained space and have it pressing in on you. That's the idea of this word. He was distressed. He was discouraged in spirit. He's at an extremely low point now because not only is he a fugitive, not only has his, his village been destroyed, his, his children, his wives have been taken off, but also his very own men that he perceived as being loyal to him, they're now talking about stoning him. This was a very bad, discouraging day for King David. He faced the attack that you and I face from time to time, the battle against discouragement. 
If David faced it, you're going to face it as well. It's something that you and I need to be on guard against. See, David's biggest enemy in this point was not the enemy of his circumstances. David's big, biggest enemy was not the enemy of, his, of, his, of the Amalekites. It was not the enemy of his men. David's biggest enemy right now was discouragement. If he didn't conquer discouragement, everything else was going to be a mess. This was his number one battle right now. It had to do with what was going on inside of him because David in this moment is a basketball with no air in it. David at this moment is a soccer ball with no air in it. David is sitting there weeping with no more tears to weep, no more words to express the pain that's going on in his life. He is the absolute picture of discouragement and distress. And let's go to our final point because we're going to see the end of the story. It's a great story that gives us some lessons as well. The third point and final point today is that there's a way for you to stay encouraged. Actually, if I was rewriting this point today, I would say it this way. There are ways to stay encouraged. Not just a way, but there are ways. I'm going to talk about some of them in a moment. But let's go back to David's life here in this situation. The Bible says in this distressed moment, he's there, if you will. The basketball has no air in it. The soccer ball is completely deflated, if you will, on the inside. David is distressed. He's discouraged. But David realized, I've got to handle this discouragement the right way. And verse 6 tells us what he did with it. The Bible says that David found strength in the Lord his God. Say that phrase with me. David found strength in the Lord his God. Come on, everybody together, Frederick as well. David found strength in the Lord his God. I love the way the King James Version renders this, but David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. Say it with me. David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. Once again, David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. There were, there were no folks around to encourage him. In fact, the only people around at that time wanted to kill him. Nobody wanted to help him out of this mess. No one wanted to, if you will, inflate the basketball for him. No one wanted to inflate the soccer ball for him. He's in a situation where on the inside, everything is depleted. Everything is gone. He has no hope for any turnaround. But he says, I've got to do something for myself. I've got to get a hold of this because if I lose this battle of discouragement, I'll lose every other battle that's, that's to be fought. And so David came to this moment of saying, I've got to take some responsibility for encouraging myself. And the the only way I can encourage myself is not in me, but it's in God. There's something I've got to do in my relationship with God that will, will, that will try me in this moment, that will cause me to have to get a hold of God like I've never gotten a hold of Him before. I'm going to find out what He can do for me when nobody else can encourage me. The Bible says that David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. He was not passive in the moment of his discouragement. He became proactive in the moment of his discouragement. He did something that made the difference. Because David is going to have to go and fight the Amalekites. He's got to go get his family back. But David could not go and fight the external enemy until he conquered the internal enemy. There's some of you here today that you're trying to fight battles out there and you can't fight battles out there until you win the battle in here. You can't win the battles over there until something happens on the inside of you, until something happens internally in your heart, in your life, and there's an encouragement, there's a fight that comes in you because I tell you, before there's a fight out there, there's a fight in here. 
When God begins to breathe life into you in the innermost part of your being and you begin to come alive on the inside, you begin to find that you're encouraged in the Lord your God, then you can do what David did. You can go after the Amalekites. You can win that victory. You can slay a Goliath as long as you're big on the inside. So David encouraged himself in the Lord as God. How? He inquired of God, the Bible says. He went to God, and in doing so, he became a different man. And let me encourage you, go home today and read the rest of the story. In 1 Samuel chapter 30, it's an amazing story of an incredible turnaround that happened. And the turnaround would never have occurred had it not been for this moment of David saying, I'm going to get a hold of God and let God get a hold of me. There's going to be some air in this soccer ball. There's going to be some air in this basketball. I'm not going to give up. I'm going to find God. He's going to make the difference. He's going to encourage my heart so I can do what I need to do. David won that battle. How can you and I win it? How can we stay encouraged? I want to give you seven ways to stay encouraged. They're not easy. I'm not giving you a panacea. I'm not giving you a quick fix. I'm not just giving you some nice little things to say today and little Christian things to write on your notes. These are things you have to work at. These are things you have to do. This, is not, this stuff doesn't come easy. Do you think it was easy for David to encourage himself in God? No, it was not easy. Everything around him wanted to pull him down, but David made a commitment. He said, I've got to do this. So what I'm about to share with you is not easy, but it's worth it. You know, most things in life that are worth it are not easy. If it's easy, it's easy, it's usually not worth it. So it's going to require something of you, but it's worth the effort. Number one, you've got to know the Lord. How are you going to be encouraged? You've got to know the Lord. What do I mean by knowing the Lord? You've got to have a meaningful, real relationship with God. And that doesn't happen in a hit-and-miss fashion. You've got to dig in in your relationship with God. You've got to make it a priority in your life. See, David found strength. He found encouragement in his relationship with God. And discouraging times are great times to lean into God and to learn from God, to tap into the power source that goes beyond our power source. I love the way Psalm Psalm 10, verse 17 says it. You hear, O Lord, the desire of the afflicted. You hear the desire of the discouraged. You encourage them and you listen to their cry. Folks, there are times when God can show up in your life and encourage you when nobody else can and nobody else will. Because God's voice, listen, God's voice is always an encouraging voice. When God speaks to you, it's always encouraging. Even when He corrects you, it's for encouragement in your life. Number two, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Let me give you a little theology here this morning. Listen up for a moment. You need to understand this. If you don't understand it, you need to be aware of it. You need to recognize it and celebrate it. When you and I accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of our lives, there's a miracle that happens. It's called the new birth. We're born again on the inside. It's a miracle. You can't describe it. You can't put it in words. You can't scientifically define it. There's something that happens on the inside called the new birth. You become a new creation in Christ. Old things pass away. Behold, all things become new. You become a new person. That doesn't mean that everything has changed suddenly, but some things have changed on the inside. You're born again. And when you're born again, the Spirit of the living God, God's Spirit, comes to live inside of you. God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. And the Spirit of God comes to live in you because the Bible says if you're a Christian believer, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. So if you know Christ as Lord and Savior of your life, never let anybody tell you that the Holy Spirit doesn't live in you. If you know Jesus, the Holy Spirit's in you. You can't even call Jesus Lord without the Holy Spirit being in you. Anytime you sing the words, Jesus is Lord, or say the words, Jesus is Lord, you're empowered by the Spirit of God to be able to do that. 
So if you're a Christian believer, the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. That doesn't mean that you're always filled with the Spirit or living in the power of the Spirit, but the Spirit of God lives in you. And one of the things that you and I need to do as Christian believers is seek to continually be filled with the Holy Spirit. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is the source of so many things, the source of wisdom, the source of truth, the source of understanding the Bible. The Holy Spirit is the source of encouragement for your life. Take a look at John chapter 14, verses 15 and 16. Jesus said this, If you love me, you will obey what I command, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor. Circle that word on your notes there. Counselor to be with you forever. The word counselor there is where we get our word paraclete from. The the word there is parakaleo. It's the idea of the Holy Spirit coming into your life. The concept is coming alongside you to encourage you. A counselor, an encourager that comes into your life. Aren't you glad that the encourager lives in you? There's a divine encourager that lives in you, and his name is the Holy Spirit. Number three, fill yourself with God's Word. You need this Word inside of you because this is air to your soccer ball. This inflates you on the inside. The more of God's Word that we know and meditate upon and obey, the more encouraged we will be. Romans chapter 15, 4 and 5, everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through endurance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you a spirit of unity among yourselves as you follow Jesus Christ. So the Word of God is a source of encouragement for our lives. Number five, stay connected to the body of Christ. You've got to make a choice to be connected to the church. The church is the body of Christ. Jesus is the head. The church is His body. Why is this important? Because one of the strategies of the enemy in your life, listen closely to this, One of the strategies of the enemy is to isolate you and separate you from other Christians. We see it in the animal kingdom. In the animal kingdom, a wolf will go after a flock of sheep. And the way that a wolf will go after a flock of sheep is that wolf will watch one little lamb or one sheep that sort of wanders to the side and doesn't stay with the group. And they'll stick, sit back. That wolf will sit back in the, in the shadows and wait for that one little one to slip off from the flock somewhere and then cuts in because now that one has been isolated and now becomes vulnerable to the attack of the wolf. Now, I'll tell you, the, the, Satan uses the same kind of strategy in your life and my life. If he can separate you from the body of Christ, if he can keep you from connection to his church, what happens? You become more easily devoured by the adversary. And your, your encouragement is much more vulnerable. Notice Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25. Let us not give up. What does it say? Oh, that was pitiful. Let us not give up. What are we doing here today? We're meeting together. In the name of Jesus, we've come together. There is one banner over this building today. You know what that banner's name is? It's not Church of the Redeemer. That banner is Jesus Christ. We've gathered unto Him today. How many of you are here because of Jesus? I'm here because of Jesus, all right? Church of the Redeemer just happens to be the name of the place and the group that we are as we gather together. But we've gathered as believers under the name that is above every name. There is no name like that name. There's one name that is high and exalted and lifted up, and that name is Jesus. And so we are meeting together under His name today. We've gathered under and around the name of Jesus. And the Bible says, let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. As he's saying, some people have gotten into the habit of staying out of church. Shame on you. Don't get in the habit of that. 
But let us encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. The Bible says that there's an encouragement that happens when we meet together. You know that you made a great decision today? Just by the very fact that you're here this morning in our Frederick campus this morning, you made the decision to be in God's house. You know what's happening to you right now? Your basketball is getting some air in it, okay? Your soccer ball is beginning to be inflated. Something's happening on the inside of you right now because you made the choice to meet together with the people of God. Number five, fifth thing, get busy serving God. Say it with me. Get busy serving God. Say the first two words with me. Come on, say it like you mean it. Get busy. Turn to your neighbor and say, get busy. Go ahead and turn and say, get busy. Okay. Okay. But not just get busy, but get busy doing what? Serving God. Let me give you a principle here. One of the best ways to stay encouraged is to stay occupied. And to stay occupied with the right things, with a purpose. Because when you're unoccupied, when you're wandering leisurely through life without any activity that has any meaning to it, you are prone, more prone to be discouraged than when you're working towards something that has meaning and has value. When you invest yourself in something that has purpose, it brings purpose to you, right? Anytime you invest in something that has purpose, it brings purpose to you. It gives you a reason for living, a purpose for living. And it's true in the work of the kingdom of God that Christians who just sort of sit back and don't do anything in the work of the kingdom of God and just sort of consume instead of contribute, what happens over a period of time is they grow either cold or discouraged or critical. I've watched it all the time. That's, that's what happens in believers that don't get involved in the work of the kingdom of God. They get cold in their spirit or they just get discouraged and give up or just never kind of engage very well or they become critical of the work of God. Folks, either of those three things, you don't want to be there. You don't want, obviously, you don't want to be cold, right? You don't want to be discouraged. You don't want to be a critic. I've never met a happy critic in my whole life, okay? But when you stay engaged in the work of God, it, you're investing in something. You're a contributor. You're not just a consumer. You're a contributor. Contributors are always happier. Contribut- contributors are always more purposeful in their lives. Notice what the Scripture says in 2 Thessalonians 2, 16 and 17. May our Lord Jesus Christ Himself and God our Father who loved us and by His grace gave us eternal encouragement and good hope as may God encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good, what's the next word there? Deed and word. What he's saying there is that when you're engaging in good deeds and speaking good words, it's opening your life to greater encouragement. Number six, receive encouragement from other people. You and I need to be open to receive the encouragement that God wants to bring into our lives from others. I will tell you this, that I believe that every day God has something to encourage you with. One of the prayers you ought to pray every morning is not God encourage me, but God give me the ears to hear the encouragement you will bring to me today. Because God is always encouraging us if we'll listen. And our prayer really needs to be more about listening than really about asking God to do it. Because He by nature is an encourager. So God, what would you, how can I hear your voice of encouragement today? And also to surround yourself with encouragers. You know, if you surround yourself with discouragers... Don't bellyache about being discouraged, okay? Because you've surrounded yourself with those that are actually feeding that into your life. We all need to help discouraged people. I'm not saying that at all. We all need to be helpers to discouraging people. We also need to make sure that we surround ourselves in the most intimate realms of our life, our our closest friendships, with people that can help build us rather than tear us down. Amen? Okay? And if you're spending all of your time in a circle that is a discouraging circle, 
the best thing that you ought to do is find another circle, okay? Because that circle is going to pull you down. I've used this illustration before, but I'm going to use it again. It's very, 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 uh, very classic illustration that you'll, you'll understand by reason of the physical principle. If I had someone standing here today holding my hand, and the, and the issue was whether I would pull them up or whether they would pull me down, if I would pull them up to the platform or they would pull me down to the floor, who would likely win? It's not a trick question, okay? Huh? Somebody, you, you all know that I am talking to you today, right? You do? Okay. Yes, sir. okay. The one on the floor. Why? Yes, science 101, okay? It's called gravity, okay? okay? It's the apple falling from the tree, right? Okay. So gravity is on the side of the person here, right? I have to work extra hard to pull that person up. They have to work not, not nowhere near as hard to pull me down. And if you surround yourself with people in your life that are there and you're trying to live up here, what's going to happen to you? It's going to be a tough battle to win. Now, should we help the people down there? Oh, absolutely, okay? You try to help them to find a better way of thinking and living? Absolutely, no question about it. But you need to make sure that the people that are, that you have some people in your life that are encouragers. Do you have some encouragers in your life? Make a choice to surround yourself with some encouragers. Notice what Paul said about this in the book of Philemon. Philemon's a very short little book. It's only one chapter. So let me read you verse 7 of the only chapter of the book of Philemon. Paul writes to Philemon and says, Your love has given me great joy and encouragement. Philemon, your, your love, your care for me has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the saints. I love the way the Good News Bible gives this to us. Your love, dear brother, has brought me great joy and much encouragement. You have cheered the hearts of all of God's people. So surround yourself with encouragers. Last thing today is to give, your, give encouragement to other people. To make a choice, you're going to give encouragement to others. One of the fastest ways to encouragement is to find someone to encourage. It may not sound logical, but it's a spiritual principle that works. Read with me, if you will, Proverbs 11, verse 25. Let's all read together. A generous man will prosper. He who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. Notice the latter part of that verse. The whole verse is great. We'll talk about the first portion of it later. He who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. Refreshed. So if you want to be refreshed, what must you learn to do? Refresh others. This is a principle that I try to do in my life. I don't always succeed at it, but I, I try. I do it more times now than I used to do it. When I get discouraged, and yes, pastors get discouraged sometimes. When I get discouraged, and I'm battling that old demon of discouragement showing up against me, one of the things that I've learned to do is I've learned to, to, to reach out to some other people and encourage them. I know lots of pastors around the nation, actually around the world, that I have some level of relationship with. And when I find myself discouraged, I'll usually pull out my phone or my, my computer or something, and I will whip off a text message or an email or write a note to somebody just to encourage them and plant a seed of encouragement in somebody else's life. I did it yesterday. I did it this morning. Early this morning, I sent somebody a note just to encourage them. You know why? Because I've learned that 
Even when I'm not necessarily way down, I'm, I'm building a hedge of protection around myself. When I say, he who refreshes others will himself be what? Refreshed. And so I try to make it a habit pattern of my life of finding people that I know need some refreshing and sending them a little word of encouragement along the way because I'm planting a seed. I'm planting a seed, the Bible says. He who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. And so I'm going to wrap up today's message. I'm done teaching today except for one final thing, and that's called homework. Don't shout me down, okay, because you're so excited. I've got an assignment for you. Is that okay? Yes. That was ter- terrible. Okay. I have an assignment for you. Is that okay? Yes. All right, good. The first couple of rows are really good with this. The rest of you, I'm not sure, okay? Here's your assignment. We have seven days between now and next Sunday. I'm expecting all of you to be back next Sunday because, by the way, next Sunday I'm going to talk about the peace of God. Now, God's peace is something you don't want to make. You want to make sure you pack into your bag with you. Carry the peace of God with you. Don't let anything steal your peace. So next weekend we're going to talk about the peace of God. Turn to your neighbor and say, don't miss it. It's going to be good. Go and tell them, don't miss it. It's going to be good, okay? So between now and next week, we have seven days. Here's your assignment for the next seven days, all right? All of you know at least seven people. If you don't know seven people, come see us. We'll introduce you to somebody, okay? <laughs> okay. If you don't know seven people, you're more trouble than you think you are, okay? We'll help, we'll, we'll help you find seven people, okay? But I would imagine that everybody here, you know at least seven people who need some encouragement in their life. Seven people that would be blessed if you would simply encourage them. Don't bypass the obvious. You know, sometimes people that... You wouldn't think need to be encouraged, need to be encouraged. You know that? And start at home, by the way. Amen? Find seven people, and all I'm asking you is one a day, okay? It's just one a day. Find one person every day that you're going to send a text message to, you're going to send an email to, you're going to send a note to, you're going to pick up a phone and call them, you're going to walk by their cubicle at at work, wherever it might be, and don't just walk by and say, hey, appreciate you. Put some thought into it, okay? Why do you appreciate them? What would, stop thinking about you for a minute. Think about what would bless them? What would really put some air in their soccer ball? What would inflate the basketball on the inside of them? What could I say that would be a deposit in their life? And you, I will tell you, we're going to have miracles in this place this week because there will be some folks that you'll speak a word of encouragement to. You will never know the difference it will make in your life. My life has been changed at times by somebody speaking. How about you? Encouragement along the way. Somebody just speaking one little word has made a difference. And think about it for a moment. Here in Gaithersburg and, and Frederick, all the different services, and all of us going and finding seven people. You know, Washington, D.C. area is never going to be the same again, right? We're going to invade the D.C. area just through this one church this next week with everybody finding seven people to encourage one a day. How many of you will say, Pastor, I take the charge. I'm going to do that, all right? Fantastic. That is awesome. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word this morning. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for being the God of encouragement. And thank you, Lord, that when we're discouraged, you're there for us to help us. And I pray for those that are discouraged this morning. Lord, I pray that in the name of Jesus, that right now you would lift their spirits. In fact, let me just stop for a moment. If, with our heads bowed, eyes closed, if you're, if you're battling significant discouragement in your heart this morning, would you just, just 
Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. We're not here to embarrass anybody. If you're battling discouragement, would you just lift your hand right now where you are? Just lift it up to God. You know that you've been really discouraged on the inside. And you've been battling that thing. A number of hands are going up. Maybe just, if you don't mind, lift both of your hands to God this morning. It's your way of saying, God, I need you. And Father, you see your people this morning. and You gave me this message for this day. And Lord, it is your word to your people. And I pray in the name of Jesus that every discouraged soul here this morning... Every discouraged person, whether it's here in Gaithersburg or Frederick, I pray that in the name of Jesus that you would come now by your Holy Spirit and breathe encouragement into their soul. God, whatever the news has been, whatever the distressing things have been in their lives that have pulled them down, we pray that today would be the turnaround day. You would lift the cloud of darkness from them, God, and begin to let the light, the sunlight of your love shine upon them in a new and fresh way. We believe you for it. In Jesus' name. Thanks for joining us for today's message. I trust that you've heard something from God's Word that'll make a difference in your life now and forever. Maybe as you were listening to today's message, God began to speak to you about a personal relationship with Himself. You know, the most important thing we can ever establish in our life is a relationship with God, and we do that by opening our hearts and lives to Jesus Christ. If you've never invited Jesus into your life, today is your day. It's your opportunity. And I want to lead you in a prayer right now that you can pray that will forever change your life, that will allow your name to be written in the book of life for eternity. All you need to do is simply pray this prayer with me and mean it in your heart. If you'll mean this prayer, God will hear you. The Bible says that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So would you pray with me right now? Whisper these words to God or speak them out right where you are. Say, Jesus, just mention his name. Say, Jesus, I admit to you today that, that I am a sinner and I'm sorry, God, for everything I've done wrong. Jesus, I believe in you. I believe you are God's Son, the Savior, the Redeemer. I thank you that you died on the cross for me and that you rose again. I believe in you, Jesus. And then whisper this prayer. Say, Lord, today I invite you to come into my life, to forgive me of my sins, to give me a brand new start in you. I give my life to you today in Jesus' name. Lord, I thank you for those that prayed that prayer with me and I ask that now they would continue to grow in you and serve you faithfully from this day forward in Jesus' name. If you just prayed that prayer with me, friend, I want you to know that Jesus Christ heard you, that your name has been written in that wonderful book of life and that now today you start a brand new life in Christ. And to do so, you need some help. You need to learn how to live your life for Jesus every day. We'd like to provide for you. In fact, we have available for you some resources that you can get from our website, church-redeemer.org, that will help you to get a good start in your relationship with Jesus Christ. So again, check out the website, church-redeemer.org. Find those resources that will help you to get going in your relationship with Jesus. If you've prayed with the pastor today and made a decision to follow Jesus Christ, we have some resources for you on our website. Just go to www.church-redeemer.org slash new beginnings. We pray that this message was a blessing to you.